Section 12 of Hildebrand and His Times by William Richard Ward Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9. Hildebrand elected Pope. First two years of his pontificate, 1073 to 75, part 1. The death of a pope was commonly the signal for a tumult in Rome, but on this occasion the city was tranquil. Hildebrand proclaimed a three days fast and prayer, after which the cardinals were to proceed to election. But when the obsequies of the late pope were being performed in the Lateran church the day after his death, a mixed multitude poured into the church, and a shout arose, Let Hildebrand be bishop. Hildebrand strove to mount one of the ambones or reading desks in order to calm the tumult, but the cardinal Hugh thrust himself forward and addressed the assembly brethren he said ye know how since the days of leo the ninth hildebrand hath exalted the holy roman church and delivered our city from bondage as it is impossible to find a better man or indeed his equal we elect him who has been ordained in our church and is well known and thoroughly approved amongst us the remonstrances of hildebrand were drowned in a unanimous shout from cardinals clergy and people st peter wills hildebrand to be pope then according to hildebrand's own narrative the people rushed upon him in a kind of frenzy and dragged him to the church of san pietro in vincoli where he was elected by the cardinals and other roman clergy with the consent of bishops and abbots clergy and monks and the approval of the people expressed by acclamation he was declared to be elected as a man eminent in piety and learning a lover of equity and justice firm in adversity temperate in prosperity according to the apostolic precept first timothy chapter three verse two of good behaviour modest sober chaste hospitable ruling his house well brought up and taught from boyhood within the bosom of this our church already for his merits advanced to the office of archdeacon whom now and henceforth we will to be called gregory pope and apostolic primate exhausted with agitation gregory spent a few days in retirement writing letters to his friends desiderius abbot of monte cassino gisolf count of salerno vibert archbishop of ravenna the countesses beatrice and matilda saiunestrison king of denmark manas archbishop of Reims, hugh abbot of cluny and others announcing his election and begging their prayers sympathy and support in the arduous and perilous office to which he had most unwillingly been called one question of vital importance touching the election of hildebrand was never positively settled the right of henry to have some voice in the election of a pope was vaguely indeed yet expressly reserved by the decree of nicholas the second but the king did not at this time claim the right nor try to get it more clearly defined if he never distinctly confirmed the election of hildebrand neither did he oppose it he acquiesced in it and gregory on his part did not seek or ask for the royal assent the tone which he intended to adopt toward the king is clearly indicated in a letter dated may sixth ten seventy three addressed to duke godfrey he declares that no one could be more anxious than he was for the king's welfare temporal and eternal he proposed therefore to send messengers on the first opportunity to convey his 
paternal love and admonition touching such things as in his judgment concerned the advancement of the church and the honour of the king if he hearkened to his counsels it would be to his great profit and to the pope's great joy but if continued gregory he returns hatred for love and treats the divine honour bestowed on him with contempt we will not god helping us incur the curse pronounced on him who keepeth back his sword from blood jeremiah chapter forty eight verse ten for we are not at liberty to prefer the favour of any man to the law of god or to swerve from the straight path for the sake of advantage as saith the apostle if i sought to please men i should not be the servant of god it is clear that if gregory wished to act the part of a father to henry he intended to exact absolute obedience from his son language nearly identical is used in a letter written about a month later on june twenty fourth to beatrice and matilda in which he also warns them against holding any communication with godfrey the simoniacal archbishop of milan or with the bishops who had consecrated him henry had been urged by some of the bishops in lombardy and germany to pronounce the election of gregory invalid because the royal assent had not been asked but henry was threatened with a revolt in saxony and did not care to embroil himself in additional troubles in italy on may twenty second gregory was ordained priest and on june twenty ninth he was consecrated without any opposition indeed the presence at the ceremony of gregory bishop of vercelli the king's chancellor might perhaps be regarded as a token of the royal assent the name of gregory was already renowned throughout western europe all countries had felt the force of his will and a thrill of hope or fear must have vibrated in every part of christendom when it was known that he was now supreme pontiff much however as had been accomplished and mainly through his energy since the reformation of the papacy began he declared in his letter to duke godfrey that he was overwhelmed by the prospect of the task which lay before him he would rather have died and been at rest in christ than live on in the midst of such perils nothing but trust in god and the prayers of good men could save him from sinking beneath the load of anxiety for the whole world was lying in wickedness all men and especially they who held high office in the church in their thirst for gain and the glory of this world were disturbers rather than defenders of the church the enemies rather than the friends of religion and justice but whatever gregory's inward fears and anxieties might be there was no outward sign of his flinching from the work which lay before him he brought to his task all the zeal of a monk and the ability of a statesman his first and chief aim was of course to strengthen his position in italy to protect the patrimony of st peter he formed a kind of local militia in which many of the roman nobility were enrolled and garrisons were placed in the towns and border castles toward the church in lombardy he immediately assumed a dignified and commanding attitude and prelates and people were charged on their allegiance to the roman church the mistress as they know of all christendom to abstain from all intercourse with the impious simoniacal excommunicated godfrey one matter of primary importance was to put his relations with the normans on a satisfactory footing robert guiscard fell ill in the spring of ten seventy three and there was a report that he was dead 
gregory sent envoys to body to offer condolence to the widow and demand fealty from her son roger but when they reached body they found that the report was false robert had recovered and politely informed the envoys that the pope might rely upon him as a trusty vassal gregory however was not satisfied with specious but vague promises in the summer he made a progress into south italy and summoned robert to do homage at san germano but robert came not he was suspicious of the pope's friendship with his rivals richard of capua landolf of benevento and gisolf of salerno gregory withdrew to benevento and desired robert to meet him and pay him homage there the norman leaders so far obeyed as to appear outside the town but he was accompanied by a large band of armed followers he refused to enter the town and gregory declined to visit him in his camp whereupon he and his men departed to the annoyance but perhaps also partly to the relief of the pope the suspicious attitude of robert made gregory all the more anxious to bind the other chiefs in south italy more closely to the apostolic see treaties were made with landulf of benevento and richard of capua by which they pledged themselves to defend the person of the pope and the property of the holy see and never to invest any one with a church benefice without the papal sanction richard undertook to pay a yearly tribute to rome and to put all churches in his territory under the direct jurisdiction of the pope even obedience to the temporal head of the empire is made conditional on the will of the spiritual head and secondary to allegiance to him to king henry i will swear fealty whensoever i may be admonished by thee or thy successors and saving always my fealty to the holy roman church gregory was indeed at this time sanguine of obtaining complete mastery over the king in a letter to rudolph of schwabia september first ten seventy three he thanks the duke effusively for labouring to bring about a good understanding between himself and henry to further this end and arrange the terms of a lasting peace he invites rudolph to meet the empress agnes the countess beatrice the bishop of como and others at rome he observes that the welfare of the empire and of the church depended on harmony between the chief sacerdotal and secular powers which were to the whole body of the faithful as the two eyes to the human body and he was under a personal obligation to be henry's friend having been treated with peculiar kindness by his father who had also with his dying breath commended his son to the care of the roman church gregory's hopes were raised still higher by receiving before the end of the month september a letter from henry himself confessing and bewailing his sins promising amendment and professing submission to the roman see in language so meek and contrite that gregory admits the like had never been addressed before to any pope by any king the tone of the letter is indeed so abject that no one who knew the passionate headstrong nature of the king could have supposed that he would abide by it for long it was written as we shall presently see when he was encompassed with danger and it was probably dictated to him by some one whom he dared not resist there were indeed strong political reasons just then why the king and the pope should wish to be on good terms each wanted the support of the other rebellion had broken out in saxony in italy the league between the papacy and the lords of capua and benevento 
provoked the jealousy of robert guiscard he summoned his brother roger from sicily and invaded the territory of capua gregory who had been sojourning there three months retreated toward rome about the end of november richard kept his hold on capua but robert and roger ravaged his lands and then moving on toward benevento they treated that territory in like manner at the christmas synod therefore in rome ten seventy four gregory solemnly excommunicated robert for his sacrilegious attack on the property of the holy see End of section twelve